You've now locked into Living Blessed, the podcast, where we're talking the highs, the lows, the darkest moments that we've all hidden from the world, and everything in between. This is the moment of truth. This is why we're living blessed. And now, your host, Jovan J. Palmer. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Living Blessed, the podcast. I'm your host, Jovan J. Palmer. And as always, we have special guests on the podcast sharing special and vulnerable moments. I got no other than... <laughs> She's been running and running from this podcast. I didn't want to... We finally got her. I'm excited. Ariel Young. I am excited for How this opportunity. I'm, like I said, I, I'm excited. I haven't been running, so to speak. I have just been processing. Okay. You know, and I think that as we grow as individuals, there are lots of things that I've grown from. Mm. But then there are lots of things that I am still growing from. And so I wonder, like, you know... Um, for the people who are watching and for like the people who are growing and on their career trajectory, like what is it about me that I need to share and then what parts do I still need to process? Mm. So I think that's probably what that's it was. Fair. It's me going through real life. That's, that's quite fair. We're going to get into it today. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> it's a safe space. I promise. This is, a, this is like one of the most safe spaces on the internet. Because right. it's not like I'm like forcing anything out of you. It's not like, you know, I'm trying to like drill you or anything like that. It's just yeah. us having a simple conversation about your life yeah. you know my thing is with the podcast these are just stories that everybody has gone through because i know from my stories like i thought i was the only person going through the situation and sometimes i still think because my story is like it's like it gets deeper and deeper mm-hmm. but these are just very vulnerable moments where people are like yo i can be vulnerable and i'm trying to like make vulnerable cool and sexy like, i think vulnerability is like super cool you do a really good job at it generally speaking Thank outside you. of the podcast there are times when i just have regular conversations and i feel like oh you just make me feel so normal. Because yeah. we get a chance. We always, like, cr- create these, like, chasms in our head that's like, well, like you said, I feel like I'm the only one going through it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm crazy, judgmental, and then I have a conversation with you, and then you make me feel super calm. That's so I was excited about this experience. Thank you. Yeah, I'm ready I'm to get into it. Let's get into it. So tell the people who, who you are. Tell them about you, where you're from, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Yes, absolutely. I'm Ariel Young, career transformation um, coach, and I really help corporate professionals transition out of corporate America and into entrepreneurship. Now, a part of that journey is a lot, processing who you are, what your identity is outside of the company, and then honestly and truly what drives you, your values inside and outside, because honestly that affects our decisions. Mm. So whether you <coughs> know it or not, the decisions that you're making in your career are all driven by like who you are what compass is already in there who made that compass what it is right Mm -hmm. the parent your parents society corporate whatever training programs you've been through but then you get an opportunity to decide decide what your compass is what guides you what do you want to work towards what's your purpose what vision do you see Mm -hmm. and so i think that's the most empowering thing that i've done um, when it comes to career coaching Um, And then you realize there's so much personal development that comes with that, that it's really just not just like, okay, how do you build a business outside of your corporate job? Mm -hmm. How do you build a side hustle outside of your corporate job? It's how do you become the person that maintains stability and security inside of yourself that removes your dependency from that direct deposit that you're so used to. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to get into the personal shifts that happened to me in order for me to be able to maintain as an entrepreneur. I'm excited to know because... (laughs) One, we're both in the social work space. Yeah. You know, you're a social worker, I'm a social worker by, I guess you say, by trade, I guess, maybe. Yeah. But it's just what led you to become a social I'm always interested in what led people to become social workers. You know, yeah. for me, my journey was I felt like I wasn't doing anything purposeful. Mm. So I said, I got fired from corporate America and said, God, don't let me get another job unless it's purposeful. And that's what happened. Mm. I landed a job in a group home. From the group home, I went to work for DFACS. And from DFACS, I quit and left the whole space, but still, like, I'm still, con- I just, like, it's a place I'm, I'm still connected to. Yeah. I still talk to some of the kids and stuff. So, like, what led you to say, you know what, I want to go into social work out of all things that you can be? Right. Well, it's funny because I didn't know that about your journey um, because a lot of people find social work either through being exposed to a social worker, being exposed to a social issue, a social justice issue, or um, trauma of, of any sort, or just being able to like find purpose mm-hmm. and then finding purpose and also realizing that you identify with some of the people that you actually serve. So my journey was similar, except it started with a statistic. Mm. I thought that I wanted to become an, a CPA. Well, I did want to be, I, I truly wanted to become a CPA when I was younger. Um, my grandfather, very young, taught me how to manage money. 
And one thing that I knew was that I knew how to count, I knew how to save, and I knew how to teach someone else how to do those things. Mm -hmm. The the, uh, subjects I was really good in um, school were math and science. And um, I just knew I was going to take like a finance or CPA type role. In college, though, I was in like, it might have been a psychology class or a biology, but there was a, a statistic that was just a breakdown of professions. And social work was 70% black women. So for me, yeah. <laughs> for me, I made a decision that, well, I'm not going to, you know, identify with the stereotype. You know what I mean? Like, there was a time where I told my mom that I wanted to study psychology, but then I got the the general, you know, this is one of those situations where you feel like you're the only one, but my mom was like, okay, and how are you going to make money? That happened to me too. <laughs> Literally. And from there, it's like, okay, well, I guess I'll go make some money then, right? Yeah. And that took me down a path, right, to corporate. Uh-huh. But there was so much that I was, I feel like I was running from on the inside that I mm. found myself in a world that didn't identify with anything that I was. And so after being in corporate for seven years, actually it was probably four years into corporate where I'm a data analyst in corporate and my director gave me an opportunity to start a program for young people experiencing homelessness. Now, there's a longer story to it, so if you want it, I'll share. But all right, well, um, (laughs) I'll take it back. When I was um, an employee, the first time I got there, I actually wanted to quit before I got the job that I had. Because I didn't, like you said, I wanted purpose. Mm-hmm. There was, there's a song by um, Katy Perry. She's like, do you ever feel like a plastic bag drifting in the wind? Long story short, I was like, I feel like I'm not guided. I feel like I'm not doing anything purposeful. And, but I needed another job because I had quit my last job. So in this job, I wanted to quit before I actually got it. Mm-hmm. And um, my behavior, my performance was like showing my director could see that I didn't want to be there, but at the same time, he really wanted to find like ways for me to um, be happy, I suppose. Like, you know, he, he recognized that I wasn't supposed to be there. Um, there was an opportunity for us to do like a team building exercise. And, you know, in corporate where they're like, we're going to go do some volunteer exercise. Yeah. So for me, we we're going to go teach life skills to, to these young kids. Well, Covenant House is a young, um, it's a homeless shelter for mm-hmm. young people 18 to 24. <coughs> yep. At the time, I was 25. So we did this whole shopping spree. We went to go um, figure out what we were gonna like, you know, cook for the young people and everything. And we went to these cottages. So it was like their long-term mm-hmm. um, homeless shelter, not their 30-day. And um, we, I went in there like right eye, bushy tail, like we are gonna teach these kids life skills. Well, I come to find out the first young lady that I met, she had cooked um, uh, Thanksgiving meals and, and, and Christmas meals and I had never cooked a turkey. No. So I'm thinking, wow, she has so much more experience, life mm-hmm. experience as, than I do. <laughs> then I met a young, another young lady and she actually turned out to be my mentor years, my mentee uh, years later. But she had experience in Starbucks. She had managerial experience. She was just super bright. Um, so it was that experience that I walked away mm-hmm. feeling like, wow, what's the difference between me and these young people? I'm 25 and the young, youngest person that I met was 23. These are not young kids. For sure. So I walked away thinking, okay, what's the difference between me and them? I was, it was really just a question. I find myself at work. My director is like, he sent me a one line email. How do we get, like, can you help me get these kids jobs or something to the effect? I'm paraphrasing. Well, I'm like mission accepted. (laughs) Let's get it. Because I am all about like, I'm all about like career at Mm. this time. My friends would send me their resumes. Like I'm always the person that's like, yes, I will spend all day figuring out how do we phrase this bullet so that you can describe your experience so that someone can understand how this applies to revenue management versus this applying to marketing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm using my skill set because I'm like, now I get to create something that's dope for young people experiencing homelessness. So I created this framework of a program that was gonna be a year, a year long program that was gonna teach them resume building, networking, all of these things. And because it wasn't like a primary focus of the job, I'm working in marketing at the time, um, the the start date had to keep getting pushed back because it was not a corporate priority. Mm -hmm. So the program went from a year to three months. So in three months, I created a framework where we would teach them resume building, networking, and interviewing skills. Um, which was meshed into mentorship and exposure so that Mm -hmm. they can see what does the office look like? Um, How do you navigate through from ground level to to like a merit position in a company? 
from where you are, right? right? So there was a lot of experiences that I wanted to build into the program so that the young people could feel comfortable sharing their story. Now, I feel like I'm skipping around a bit, but after the program, because the program went for three years, mm -hmm. um, we launched it in LA, in New York, and all of that. I really wanted to do more. I felt like in this, in this three years, I found my zone of genius. Mm -hmm. I found the place that, that we call flow. And there were times when in the program, I'm just kind of speaking off the top of my head and, and really not just speaking from the curriculum, but speaking into them. And then months later or years later or whatever, in the moment, oh, Miss Ari, because I didn't tell them to call me Miss Ari. That's what they call me. That really helped me. I used that in the interview and they really liked it. Or I'm getting feedback from HR saying, hey, this person said this. And I'm like, wow, we really talked about this. I built this into the program. Yeah. Um, feeling like I actually had an impact, feeling like this is actually directly helping someone change their socioeconomic status. That was the only inkling that I knew that, that like, okay, I want, I want more of this, mm -hmm. but I didn't know that was social work. So full circle to give you a, a short and easy answer. Um, I was running away from social work very early on in my life. Come to find out in the, the deadest place of my career, I would be revived by an opportunity to help young people experiencing homelessness get to a place in their life where they can actually accelerate in their socioeconomic status. Um, so fast forward a bit, I, I researched, I was like, dang, social work. I'm looking at, my uncle actually told me, it sounds like what you want to do is social work. And I was like, no, because <laughs> I don't want to work for defects. I don't want to do yeah, child yeah. welfare. Um, again, I'm running from it because throughout my career, I've been very interested in the prestige of it mm -hmm. all. So um, I read all of the, the pamphlets around social work, and I was like, this sounds like home. It sounds like exactly what exactly I want to do. And I didn't need to get an MBA because I had already had a finance degree. Um, people are like, oh, you should actually get a, you know, MBA and go get another job. I don't want another job. I didn't know I wanted entrepreneurship, but I didn't, I didn't want another job. So long story short, the degree felt like home. Mm. And in a sense, I felt like my superpower is empathy. My superpower is breathing into young people. My, my superpower really is creating programs and being able to like effectively monitor the effectiveness mm -hmm. of like what exactly are we actually delivering the intervention that we say we would and is this intervention having a positive effect on the participants I was doing that int intuitively before I actually knew that this was a part of social yeah. work so I, I just say all of that to say um, this was something that I was running from it was a career that I wasn't necessarily seeking and it found me and then I decided to get the credentials to go along with it gotcha so most social workers they find some commonality in the clients that they work with. Mm -hmm. So like, ironically, my first job in social work, I was working with teen boys in group homes. Yeah. And after reading like, you know, their charts and stuff like that, I'm like, yo, like, I identify all these kids. Mm. They've experienced the same exact thing that I experienced. Have you come across that in your path of uh, social work where you just like, yo, like, I resonate with I get you. I've been I've walked that same exact life. And if so, what what was it been? Yeah, that's a really good question. I will say that I haven't yet had the experience to identify with a young person like here. Mm -hmm. What I will say is in creating the career readiness program, there were times where self-doubt would kick in where someone feeling like they're not good enough would happen mm -hmm. um, and where you feel like you have to be fake. Like um, code switching was never a thing that I, that I really was good at, honestly. Um, and that's not a part of the program that I, liked to, that I wanted to teach. But I did understand how it was to like wanna shift, like shape shift and, yeah. and be something that you're not in order to connect with other people. Mm -hmm. So I think that in the process of me having conversations with young people who feel mm -hmm. self-conscious about connecting with other people, that's probably the most that I've identified so far. Okay. I don't know if I've gotten deep enough in the human, like the human connection part of it. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned um, charts. The reason I decided to go into social work from a, a corporate position, it was the furthest thing from like direct care. So when, I, when you talk about like charts and understanding young people's stories, I have actually not gotten that close in social work. Mm. So the difference, so the part of social work that I'm actually more so interested in is in macro social work. 
So most people are familiar with micro social work, right. which is your your child welfare system. Then meso social work is between that. So I'm just giving you guys an education on what social work is, because meso social worker is the the guidance counselor at the school that you're used to seeing. She has two hundred students in a school, yeah. and typically she probably sees like the five mm -hmm. who actually experience the most trauma. Macro social work is about evaluating programs that are specifically dedicated to these young people. Part of social work I hate. That's the part of social work you hate. I don't care for all that data and analytics and all that types of stuff. <laughs> That's I why don't. I like talking to you because <clears> it's <throat> like you have the, the superpower to allow people to feel comfortable and mm -hmm. have these conversations to shed whatever type of insecurities, whatever the trauma, where those that self-doubt comes from. I, I identify with the trauma. I can be real with it. And I like talking to people like you because it allows me to explore that side of me. Mm -hmm. But I create programs that puts your brain in a module or in a curriculum. And it allows someone to heal over the process of 10 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever the, pro the program is. Mm -hmm. And then we can like actually measure the, the efficacy of it. That's where my brain goes. That's where my superpower is. But my human side loves this part of social work. Mm. I think that if I were to lean into it, it would be a gift. But because this wasn't a part of my training, I haven't necessarily been able to talk to someone at the trauma level to see like if we actually like identify with each other yet. So it gets deep. That would be it gets deep. That would be a whole other growth experience for, for me. For sure. So let's go back to childhood. Yeah. Who's young Ariel? Who is young Ariel? Young Ariel was um, very dark. Mm. Um, I would say, I remember doing a, um, I did a podcast with someone and he wanted to try to like do NLP with me, you know, and neurolinguistics programming. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I cried. I did too, honestly. I cried. You did? Yeah, twice. You let some stuff go? Yeah. Listen, okay, so I. I, I literally cried like ugly. Ugly cry. Ugly cry. Like, Did you? It, because I thought, you know, you think like sometimes you're, you've let some things go. Yeah. And for some reason I thought I did, but I didn't. But yeah. I think like NLP is dope. It is. I think it's a very vulnerable place to be in. Absolutely. And uh, you have to be able to have those conversations with someone you trust. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to allow yourself to be vulnerable and heal and see what's on the other side mm -hmm. of it. The reason that I don't think it went well for me, one, is because I didn't know the person. Mm -hmm. um, two, it was for the purposes of a podcast. Mm -hmm. But in this in this moment, I realized the first question that he asked me was like, uh, what 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 happened when you were seven years old? Yeah. And I couldn't remember. That was a struggle for me, too. <laughs> <laughs> I was like seven. Oh, um, I don't know. I just knew where I, I knew, like, geologically where I was. Yeah. But I don't remember like what was going on at seven, but it took some time because he helped me. Like He walked me. He asked some other questions that kind of helped me remember seven and eight and nine mm -hmm. and so on. But it was just like it was very hard to get to for sure. OK, very well, hard. you're super brave. And I'm not, not you know, as I as I think about this, I think that young Ariel was crying for help. Mm. Young Ariel was living a lot louder than even Ariel today. Whereas a lot of times people see my external and I'm a very like extroverted personality. I get energy from simply being around people. I can literally just focus on the work that I have to get done. Nobody can say anything to me in the dead center of a club. It doesn't matter. Like I just, How? I'm a, I'm, it's like a battery charge for me. But I didn't know this about myself as a young person. Um, and later I would find that part of it is that I didn't necessarily develop boundaries. Mm. So growing up, um, I think I was very dark. Um, I realized that there were gifts and stuff that I had, but I was, I had a lot of like negative beliefs, like limiting beliefs. One of which being, I had, I have a voice I can sing. Right. And I thought that I wanted to like, you know, test it out, be a singer, but I would tell myself things like, well, if you're not going to be Beyonce, you're just not going to do it at all. Mm. You know, um, the the limiting beliefs were a uh, product of what my experience was growing up as a child. And I'll say my, my mother's a, a single mother. She grew up as a, as a single mother. And, and I hope she would be okay with me sharing this part of my story. But she's a, a victim of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. So young, young Ariel knew very early the heinous, you know, like uh, products of or outcomes of a husband and wife, 
you know, domestic violence situation. Most times when I would tell people about my mother's story, they would be like, oh my God, he did what? Your dad did what? He beat my mother with a baseball bat. And because of that, it created this dynamic in my mind. I'm living with my mother. I'm experiencing a lot of negative emotions and I have to come to terms with loving my father because he eventually came back into my life. And then also respecting my mother. One thing that I learned growing up later, like as an adult, is that when you experience domestic violence as a young person, you identify with the um, person, who, the, the aggressor. Yeah, for sure. Because you identify <clears throat> the person who is a victim as a weakling. And no one wants to identify with weakness, mm -hmm. right? I didn't know that this was a thing, but I would find myself having conversations in my head like, it's, it's really tough to even say, but it's just like you, you think like, oh, is this the moment where, you know, my dad did such and such? Because you're identifying with mm, your negative experience yeah. of the person who is the, the victim and you don't want to identify with that part. So I, I think that over time that shaped my persona where I was always going to be a strong person. Mm -hmm. I was always going to be the strong person. I was the youngest um, sibling, but I was always feeling like I was raising the house. Yeah. I always felt like the strong one. I always felt like I was supposed to have it all together. So if you fast forward, growing up and look, thinking about career moves, thinking about education and things like that, most of it was up to me. What I will say is my mother, being a single mother and being very, very smart and resourceful, even though she was in a space of survival herself, she always made it a very, and I say survival mentally. My mother was thriving. My mm -hmm. mother has her doctorate in education as, as we speak. So I get my go-getterness from her. Clearly. <laughs> but at the same time, being raised by a woman who is emotionally and mentally surviving, um, she didn't necessarily instill a lot of like softness in me, mm. but she did instill a lot of opportunities. I had my first job when I was 14 years old. I worked at a library. And you know the books that I was really, really interested in? Funny thing, like sex, edu sex education. I thought that I wanted, so even later, I thought that I wanted to be a sex um, therapist because that there were... I don't know, I was super, super duper curious about it. I even, I even am now, but what I will say is that she gave me my first job. She gave me the first opportunity to apply for a job. Um, I had my first job at 14. I don't think I have ever stopped working until I quit my first job. Mm -hmm. And that was at 23 years old. So young Ariel, she worked. Not only did I, I have my first job at 14, um, but I started braiding hair. So my first technically entrepreneurial endeavor was me braiding hair. hair. I yeah. used to get seventy dollars a head, wow. and at that time, the cell phones, the cell phone bills were like forty-five dollars. Mm -hmm. So um, I was always a go-getter, but at the same time, I would say I was hurting inside. Mm -hmm. So, how was it having to look your dad in the eye after you know you seen him beat your mom with a bat, and I don't know how, ex how what, to what extent it went to, but yeah. just. The fact of seeing that, how was it like trying to reestablish a relationship or even trust with him again? Yeah, you know, so I told you, I uh, one of the business that I started when I was very young was braiding. Mm -hmm. My mom, I used to braid my mom's hair. And she had this really big gash in her, her, her um, head. And so because of that, I knew what happened. Mm -hmm. Like I saw the, the effects of what he did. At the same time, my mother was always open to making sure her um, children knew their father. Yeah. The only thing that, and, and I say this to a lot of parents who have children who experience some adult stuff growing up, who see stuff, who experience things. You want to keep your children, you know, children for as long as you can. But after they see things, after they experience things, you really just have to be honest with them so that they can understand the world that they live in. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so my biggest grievance with my dad was that he never had a real conversation with me. And honestly and truly, I felt like I already know, but the fact that you're not saying anything, I feel like I'm a child. I was, I was raised to be a respectful kid. I'm not going to say anything. Mm -hmm. And um, it was never, ever dealt with. One of the things that um, I would always do when he would come in town, so he moved to Atlanta for a little while, and then he moved to L.A., moved back to L.A. because he, he is an entrepreneur um, to run his business because it was more successful in L.A. Mm -hmm. 
when he would come to Atlanta and come, he would want to come and get me, I would always bring a friend. Mm. Because I felt like if I had my friend, I'll always be safe. If he did any, if he tried anything, yeah, yeah. I would always, we, we could always either run or we could, we could jump him. That's what we would say. <laughs> <laughs> we would be like my friend, me and my friend Keisha, we would say we would just jump him if he tries anything. Uh -huh. But um, that was me as a child growing up. And I'm trying to connect the dots for you because mm. there's a lot of the relationship that had to heal from. And the healing came when I broke down. Mm. So I grew up a very respectful child, giving mm. you the dynamics of like how things were when I was a, a child and just being respectful, not mentioning the things that I know is going on. I grew up and just never really dealt with any of it. It wasn't until the last, at the same company where I created the career readiness program that um, I had flight benefits because it was, I was working at an airline. And because I had flight benefits, your parents automatically go on there, your children um, and your parents, like spouses, if they end up getting married. Well, when you get the job, of course, people know your benefits before oh, sure. you know right. your benefits. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my dad, you know, I got the job mm -hmm. and um, he knew he I think he, some people had told him, oh, your daughter works at an airline. You know, you're going to get those flight benefits. And he's like, well, she hasn't told me anything about flight benefits. And I was and in my mind, I was intentionally not giving him flight benefits mm -hmm. like subconsciously. I didn't feel like you deserved it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm not from the moment you start uh, working at the place, you get the opportunity to write down your parents name on like the benefits. And I just felt like it wasn't a benefit that he deserved. So it became a point of contention between us because eventually he found out and I didn't have the guts to say no. Mm -hmm. So eventually I put him on reluctantly. And then we got to a place where I felt like it was extremely transactional because then now I'm feeling like you don't really love me. You just want the flight benefits mm -hmm. and you did what you did to my mom. So now I'm a grown woman. I'm identifying with her trauma and I'm also feeling like you only want to be around because of the flight benefits. Yeah. We had a we had a, um, a, a fallout and I took him off the flight benefits. And that's when our relationship got very, very like strained mm -hmm. because I felt like if you're really my dad, you will still support me regardless. And so in a sense, I suppose I was hoping it would still be kosher without the transaction of having flight benefits. Needless to say, it wasn't. And I have no bad blood about it. Um, long story short, I ended up putting him back on there. Mm -hmm. But our relationship has always gotten to a point where... I always speak my truth now. Yeah. Because remember I told you I, I had to break down? Mm hmm At that moment where I, where I took him off of my flight benefits, I think I finally shared, like, everything that was on my heart. Like, we never had a conversation about what you did to my mom. You've never taken ownership of why you did it. Um, all of those different thoughts that I had, I just let it out. Mm -hmm. I even might have said, like, maybe one or two cuss words. So I walked away. I'm 25. I walked away from that conversation like, you said it, girl. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, you, you stood up for yourself. Yeah. I took him off my flight benefits. Uh, fast forward a year. He, he sent me a, a Stevie Wonder song and we rekindled our relationship. But it took some time. Mm -hmm. So do you find yourself having, to be honest, you and your dad's relationship was strained once upon a time. How is it for you inside of relationships? Because sometimes when a girl doesn't have any, like a, I don't say a positive role because dad was there, but more so like just the relationship wasn't as strong as it should have been. Has that trans transferred over to like you in the dating scene? Yeah, it absolutely has. Um, I would also, I would always lead. So, you know, the, the, the most tender parts of you, I like, I like comedians because I think that their comedy is always like the funniest ones have probably went through a absolutely. lot. And I think comedic relief is healing. It's also a way for you to expose some stuff that has been said. And so I would always, not always, but if I was courageous enough to mm. be honest with a man, I would say I got daddy issues mm. because I know that I didn't, I was a girl who grew up with a dad. Um, and there were no men, no people who, who like instill like empowerment in me as a woman, like, 
from my grandmother's perspective, she was more like, don't let no women around your man, you know? So, <laughs> so for me, I'm thinking, you know, the women, women could be the enemy, but I will say I always recognized that I had daddy issues. The reason that I would stop there, you know, through like comedic relief is because I wasn't quite sure what the issues were. Mm. You know, I don't know what a young girl gets from having a dad. I don't know the sense of safety that a young girl feels when they're walking through the earth and they know that daddy is somewhere on this earth mm -hmm. and they will support you through and through. I don't know what that feeling looks like. I also recognize that my relationship with daddy issues has also changed because I know that there are women who have fathers yeah. and they still don't face, feel safe. But I envied having a dad for so long that after I got a chance to understand what other women's experiences are, I started to realize we all have our own walks of life. Needless to say, um, recognizing that I did not have a tight relationship with my dad, I think that's what brought the most, the most um, growth for mm -hmm. me in this journey from corporate to entrepreneur. And the reason that I say that is when I, when I finally quit, I knew that I didn't want to work at a corporation anymore, but I didn't know that I wanted entrepreneurship. I just knew that I wanted to do something on my own. Mm -hmm. And the first person I was introduced to was a friend of my brother's. And um, I had very little boundaries or red flags at the time. This person had been to prison before. This person was already like, you know, into certain like crimes, like, mm -hmm. you know, white collar crimes and things like that. And I knew all of that up front. But what I, th I was really, really hopeful for, and I'm a very optimistic person, is that when you say you're going to change, I believe it. Yeah. Like, I have no choice but to believe it. You know what I mean? Like, I, you can believe it until it's, it's, it's no longer true. So I went into this relationship, open eyes, um, oh, very aware, because he was very transparent about his background. So it wasn't like something I had to find out. Mm -hmm. But a red flag that a, that a typical woman might have is just a, simply he's been to jail before. My dad has been to jail. My brother has been to jail. My uncle has been to jail. His brother has been to jail. <laughs> so for me, it wasn't like a, a, you know, a red flag for me to be like, no. There are other things that I learned in the relationship that I just n never created a boundary for. <clears throat> mm -hmm. But he was really smart. So he's the person who introduced me to Airbnb. He's the person who introduced me to um, learning how to make money in different ways. He's the person who taught me how to make an LLC. And so I created my first business, which was a fitness business. He was also very um, encouraging for me to do these things outside of corporation. Mm -hmm. So whereas, and my dad actually met him. So for me to bring him into the family, right, and allow him to meet a couple people, um, or actually really everybody in my life, he got super close with me. Um, I realized I got so into that relationship that I created a... Um, really a, a barrier for for people to really get in mm -hmm. you know I grew up very strong I told you that I grew up where people count on me so I gave people opportunities based on my relationship with him and I developed a whole organization I'm using my skill sets to create a program that we help other people get apartments and things like that so for me since everyone thought that I was fine Everyone saw that I was, you know, creating a new life outside of corporate. Yeah. I'm making money. I'm paying my mortgage. I have a new man. He seems to treat me like I'm the queen. This is all that we thought, we all thought. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, yo, this doesn't feel right. Mm. The entire time. And you're still in it. No. Well, not now, but like yes. during that time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So... I oftentimes, um, I t I've talked about myself as like, um, you know how you can cook a, a frog in boiling water? No. Okay, so if you have, if anybody has been to Louisiana and they've had a frog, you can, you can literally put a frog in cold water. You can turn on the heat and boil the frog till it dies. And they never, like before, like by the time that it, it is too hot to jump out, I mean, by the time it's ready to cook them, it's too hot for them to jump out of the pot. Like th that's, how, that's how it works when you can, you can cook a frog alive. You've done this before? No, I haven't. 
I was, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't, but I have YouTubed it to make sure that it was true. So what I will say about my intuition is I am smarter than a frog, but I was definitely still in it. Mm. Very much feeling like I shouldn't be here, mm -hmm. but still going along with the program. Got you. Because of this relationship with my dad, but because of the relationship that I have with many men in my family, um, the alarm bells weren't ringing that loud. Mm. My gut wasn't telling me to run until it until it did. And um, I think that I learned a lot about life and I learned a lot about myself outside of the corporate walls. Sure. Yeah. So I, I talk a lot of times about like the, the life that I was living before I actually left. It was a very safe existence. Like, even to the point where I met the young people experiencing homelessness, I'm like, what? You lived under a bridge? I'm I'm 25 years old black woman mm -hmm. and hadn't really identified with struggle. Yeah. You know what I mean? So for me to meet these young people experiencing homelessness, I'm thinking that they have lived a lot of life. Mm -hmm. So at the point where I meet a man who's treating me really wonderful, right? He's similar to my dad. I've learned to love my, the biggest aggressor in my life, my dad, right? Yeah. I've learned to love him. I can learn to love someone who has a tarnished past. And that's what I was thinking. I thought I could love him to be the best person he could be. Mm -hmm. And when it all came down to it, you cannot love someone to be the best person they can be. For sure. You can't love someone into changing. And as that relationship progressed, he couldn't sustain the, the, the facade that he was creating around me. Mm. He had to, he, he started to show his true colors. And Which were? Unlike, oh, well, you know one word I don't like? I don't like that in the mental health community, when we start to understand different like um, mindsets, mm. and I don't think this is gonna be a popular opinion. But um, as I exited that relationship, narcissism was one of the things that I had to learn about mm. in order to, to understand what I was experiencing. As I developed the strength to get out of the relationship, I went through the process, uh, and, and I'm, exp I'm expressing my experience. For sure, for sure. Because I can't tell you what his true thoughts and intentions were. Mm -hmm. So when people say that someone is a narcissist, Honestly and truly, you're saying that, you know, the worst thing about someone because they have no empathy, they have no ability to mm -hmm. recover, they have no intention to ever care for another human being. For sure. It's a sad existence because they um, identify as the child that they were when they didn't get what they needed or mm -hmm. when they got too much of what they were supposed to get. That's, a sto that's his story. If that was his story, then that's his story. But I never, for a long time, I identified with that. I think that's what got me out of the relationship. He's a narcissist. And because I'm learning about these things about yeah. narcissism, I'm developing my own mental calluses mm. so that I don't fall back into the relationship. Because one of the things that you learn as a woman who's experienced a narcissistic relationship is that we oftentimes go back time and time and time again until it's too late. Remember the frog yeah. analogy. Yeah. And so for me, as soon as I came to, because I left a relationship maybe three times, as soon as I came to, I decided this is going to be the last time. You're going to go through the fields. You're going to experience what it is that you need to experience. And even at this time, I would I did an episode on my podcast about uh, cannabis and corporate. Mm -hmm. And so I was the person who would deal in cannabis and corporate. But I told myself, you know what? You aren't going to do anything. No alcohol, no drugs. You're going to feel this entire thing. Mm. And you're going to come out of this relationship stronger. You're going to know yourself. You're not going to come out of this thing jaded. And even in that. I had to stop calling him a narcissist because I'm putting so much power into him being manipulative and not really you were the queen in the relationship the entire time. You just didn't know your power. I established an entire business with him. We wouldn't have gotten like three or four Airbnbs through without my connections, without the organization. Like uh, the things that I had to learn about myself as a professional, mm -hmm. as a, as a um, expert at what I know, building organizations, building frameworks, managing trainings, like these things are mm -hmm. what I did in a relationship. Regardless of who he was, what he did, or the pain that I subjected myself to, I had to realize what was great about you. The reason that he was attracted to you is because you were, on, you were off the chain. Mm -hmm. I had to talk into myself. I had to speak life into myself because I was so depleted out of that mm -hmm. relationship. And the last thing that I will say is I got so down on myself because another thing that me and my dad have had to come to 
is his anger. Yeah. So here I am, always growing up with a father, who, and I've known that he beat my mother with a baseball bat. And I'm like, dang, do I have that in me? Well, when you're in a, in a relationship with a person who is willing to take you to your depth, you will see the other side of you. For sure. And I hated the, the thing that actually got me out of that relationship is I saw the worst side of me. Mm. I saw that I had to work on my anger issues. What was the worst side of Ariel? You want to know everything. I do. You want to know helping everything. You're helping me, helping somebody else. I am. So uh, nobody ever believes it. But this is not, a, this is not a, even a secret. I had my 30th birthday party, and um, it, was, it was during Corona, so it was virtual. How old are you? I'm 31. Really? Yes. How oh, did you think wow, I thought you were like 34, 35. Oh, well, I'll take it. <laughs> Mentally, people think that I'm much older. Yeah, for but, sure. And yeah, then yeah, depending yeah. on how I wear my hair, people think I'm 16, 17. So it just depends. Oh. Uh. <laughs> yes. You said Corona. I'm like, what? Yes. I just turned 30. Wow. In Corona. Yes. So in this moment, um, yes, you want to you wanna take a picture? <laughs> Like she looks good for 34. For sure. No, yeah, I, I think that's funny. So I wonder how many more people think that I'm 34. I thought you were my age. You're 34. Uh-huh. Oh. Well, no. I, you know, they say women age, you know, at a, at a rapid pace. So, Absolutely. yeah. I think that I've gotten a lot of wisdom over time. Mm. And a lot of people. It's not even the, the way you look, it's just the way you carry yourself. Mm. Like you carry yourself like a grown woman. Yeah, my my homegirl when I was thirty one, she called me. She said, uh, "You're in your thirties now." Like, yes, it's it's a whole thing. Mm. I have um, I have always been extremely aware of my surroundings. I I grew up around my grandparents. Mm -hmm. Like, so there was no playtime. You weren't like, yeah, yeah. yeah, It was you have to be. You act like you got some sense. Mm -hmm. Your grandparents are not about to be running around whipping you. You're not playing. There's nobody to like be rambunctious with mm-hmm. so i have always been pretty mature just because of like being around a lot of old people yeah yeah okay, <laughs> a lot okay. of friends all right <laughs> back into it though. go ahead um oh so my birthday party yeah the first so there were some people who didn't know me that well mm-hmm. not not because it was just um most close friends but new close friends mm-hmm. right i'm in school so maybe one of my, my homies from the social work um from my social work program was there and the first people so what we did was went around and allowed of uh, everyone to share something about me mm-hmm. the first like four or five stories was about me fighting you <laughs> yes. fighting who <laughs> students like you know children and the thing about it is the funny thing is i never got in trouble at school for fighting. i can see like i feel like you're like well she started they always did did they really though really I was this is, vividly, and I don't know if my memory could just make itself. It actually, your mem- your mind can't make memories up. But there, most of the time, I was like, I don't want to fight you. This is the, we don't we don't have to do this. Um, and then it would get to a point where you pushed my button, and I I go zero to sixty, right? Because now I'm, and I don't even too much remember what I did. I just knew that I didn't want to do it. And then afterwards, there was. Mm-hmm. Always fanfare fair around like, oh, did you see what Ariel did? So funny thing, the funny part about the birthday party is that a lot of people at the at my party were like, wow, I would never have expected that. People who've been my friend for years have never known that that side was in me. So when you say, what was the worst side of Ariel? The worst side is the, you know, my anger to like for someone to push you to the to the point where you actually don't aren't remembering like that you're fighting Mm -hmm. or that you're you know you're enraged you know what I mean and so I've had to learn to communicate my feelings as a as a as an adult I have to communicate at every step when I'm irritated when I'm sad when I don't trust you when I'm feeling some type of way I have to communicate those things along Mm -hmm. the way so that we never go from sweet old Ariel who's like smiling, but really she's ready to like hurt you. So um, that's the worst side of me. I, it, it, there was a, there's a movie with Diana Ross mm-hmm. where, um, and I'm going really deep, listen. There's a movie with Diana Ross where she's driving. It's a, it's a long time ago. She's in a relationship with a man and 
it's the Dolly. I can't remember what it's called, but he basically, you know, takes her to fame. She goes from the hood to fame. And there's a scene where she's driving on the highway and he's just taking pictures of her being like super deranged. She's like, oh, my gosh, she's super fro like freaked out. And he's just like taking pictures and enjoying it. Well, there was a situation in my, my relationship where I got pushed to my limit and he was enjoying it the entire time. Mm. And so it was after that where I realized, you know what? I don't like this side of me. I don't want to be with someone who brings that side. Because we all have our darkness. For sure. We all have our darkness. And if there's a person who's around you who eggs that side of you on, then that's a sign for you to get up out of there. Mm -hmm. That's a <clears throat> sign for you to say, this is not who I want to be. And that was, for me, that was all I needed to say, okay, well, this isn't who you want to be. For sure. So, coming out of that relationship, what was the wake-up sign to say, yo, this is the last time? So, you remember I told you that there were a bunch of, um, so, in, in building, like, the Airbnbs mm -hmm. and, and things like that, you know, if I had family coming in town, hey, Ariel, do you have an Airbnb available? And I would be like, yeah, like, we would, you know, let, let you stay at the Airbnb. And, and so, those type of opportunities were always available. It wasn't until so we tried to help one of my loved ones um, get an apartment um, and build an Airbnb, mm -hmm. and the paperwork fell through. It wasn't that the paperwork fell through. It was that I left everything up to my ex. And so he would tell her, okay, we got your approval papers. We got this. We were doing the Airbnb. Like It was kind of like a done-for-you Airbnb type surface. Gotcha. And... He kept telling her she was approved. She never really truly got approved. And it got to a point where um, he gave me he gave me a set of keys to go out, you know, and, and help her into her um, her apartment. But these keys were never the actual home. Right. So I drove all the way down to the south side of Atlanta mm. with these keys that were intended to let her into her new unit. And it didn't work. And so for me. You went through such a like, you know, such lengths to like keep a lie going. I drove all the way down tomorrow to try to like get this, you know, this whole situation together. And I drive back to the house and you have nothing to say about the situation. For me, it's, it's interesting because um, this is how you identify in like a narcissist relationship. Oftentimes you feel crazy. Mm -hmm. You feel like, you know, if he wouldn't, if he, did this really happen? Or he wouldn't have lied to me. You're just making things up. It wasn't that bad. And many times you call yourself crazy before you say he wronged you. For sure. Right? There have been too many situations where I just gave him the benefit of the doubt. This situation, I drove my tail down tomorrow. These keys fit no doors. And obviously, there is a huge lie. You can't... You cannot denial your way mm -hmm. <laughs> out of this one like Ariel, you have to face the music now i don't know what it's like for other women to believe some of like the blatant blat blatantest lies but for me when a lie is staring you right in your face i can't avoid anything so i thank god every day for my intuition i thank god every day for the wherewithal to say listen all right how long you want to take this heat mm -hmm. that was the last straw for me it was after seeing the worst side of me. It was after being lied to over and over and over again. Then it was when you hurt someone I love. Mm. When you hurt someone I love, I, I would never be able to like, I will never, for me, I'll never be able to rekindle the, the bond. You know for what I mean? Sure. Like we're yep. still tight, mm -hmm. but it's like you, now they, they, they might not be able to trust me yeah. when I bring somebody else in here. Mm -hmm. So for me, I couldn't, I couldn't take that. That was something I didn't want to show up in this world as. So for the final time, I left the relationship mm -hmm. and it was hard. It was really hard. I told you, um, this is when I said, I'm not gonna, no alcohol, no marijuana. You're gonna feel this entire thing. You're not going back. You're going to start your life all over again. Mind you, I had just left my corporate job. I started over. <laughs> And then I thought, okay, you're on your way up. Yeah. I got three Airbnbs. But you know what? The life that I was living was such a distraction from where I truly wanted to be. You mm. remember we started this entire conversation talking about purpose? Yep. 
talking about impact. I said I spent a whole year doing things that have nothing to do with purpose. And that's why when I'm working with clients and they say like, oh, I want to quit my job. I'm going to get three Turo cars and I'm going to Then I say, well, you quitting your job to run Turo? Because this is a job like Airbnb, laundry, running like all of these different aspects of an Absolutely. Airbnb. That's yes. you want to go into customer service. You know what I mean? Like I was living so far off of my path. And mm. I w it was because I had not necessarily thought about boundaries. Mm -hmm. I was still wrapped up into just my values were all over the place. Yeah. And I wasn't honoring those values. Um, I even was valuing things that, you know, like remember when I said prestige, the same thing that took me to a job that was so far removed from social work is the prestige. And me being in this relationship, we had the money. We had, you know, success, monetary mm -hmm. success. I felt like it was great love. You know, I just felt like, oh, he loves me. Like, I, I hadn't felt this way yeah. by any other man in my life. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm chasing that emotion. I'm chasing that feeling. And I, read, I was watching a sermon that my dad ironically sent me about distractions. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably one of those things that was just dropped into the process of me healing yeah. that reminded me you don't go back don't go back don't go back until I didn't have to chant that anymore I just knew that I wasn't going to go back I knew that I was strong enough to live on my own mm. and so for me that was a huge learning experience when I talk about the journey and you got me really really talking Joe <laughs> but and I think that's probably why I was like yo you gonna talk about this when I talk about the journey from corporate to entrepreneur mm. and I say it's not about you know, building another business, building a side hustle. As corporate employees, you know how to run businesses. Absolutely. You know how to think strategically. Mm -hmm. You know how to build structure around a thing. You know, as, as long as you know what your revenue generating activity is, then you know how to get to $10,000 a month. It's getting over, like understanding what your values are, understanding how to not compromise yourself. Mm -hmm. And then to the point where you're going through a relationship or you like, and, and relationship doesn't even just have to be romantic. Many people stay in jobs that they hate because their family thinks that they should. Mm -hmm. Like I had benefits. I know a lot of people who still work at the airline because their family will be mad at them if they quit. So they're they're dying inside because their family can't get have to get the benefits. Mm -hmm. All of these nuances that I'm telling you are it's so easy to get, get caught up in living a life that someone else wants you to. But when you don't know what's driving you, like when you've never lived, for me I had never lived I hadn't come to terms with like the pain that I had with my dad. Funny thing is, within the three years that I've been an in, in entrepreneur, me and my dad have been closest ever. Because now I get to ask him now about the highs yeah. and lows about business, mm -hmm. right? I get to, t I don't have to, Oprah said this thing where she was, um, she wanted to make her mother something that they wasn't. You know, you want your parents to be superheroes. Mm -hmm. Once I started looking at my dad, you know, as his first and last name, then I started looking at him as a human. Mm. And I started to be able to have a conversation about how I develop as a person. How do I do well in business? When I talk about the transition from corporate to entrepreneurship, it's not about the tactical how-tos, because you know how to do the thing. It's how do you become the person who is stable on the inside? My practice, I, I developed a whole practice of meditation and yoga and praying. All of that stuff went out the window when I dated that man. Mm. And I was not aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was not aware. So you find... And in those moments that you were doing, like a lot of, of course, a lot of compromising, but what's the, it's a word I'm looking for. I see it. It's just like, you know, you just pretty much become, you lose, like I said, you lose I, all your values. Yeah, I acquiesce to everything. Yeah, everything and everybody that you attach yourself to, you become, you conform to them. Yeah. Or you conform to their environment. Mm -hmm. What were some ways or some practices that you said, you know what, I have to stop conforming. I got to stop, you know, molding myself to their environment. It's kind of like a, a squid. They can mm. fit in anything. Mm. The tiniest holes, they can squeeze their heads through it mm -hmm. and just fit and conform to that space. Mm. We as humans shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, I agree. I think that, because I'm trying to, to think if I would describe myself as, what I will say is, when it comes to like knowing who you are, you then know how to communicate what you like and what you don't like. I think that being in 
that relationship specifically. Mm-hmm. It ex- it allowed me to explore parts of myself with um, kind of like just no boundaries. We had money, we had you know freedom and opportunity to do things, and I hadn't really tested out. I was pressure testing life. I was saying. <laughs> I was pressure testing life. So now I will say, have I developed any practices so that I don't acquiesce to like other people's wants and needs? I think it's just knowing what I like and what I don't like. Mm -hmm. Um, My no is getting stronger. My no hasn't always been super duper strong. I I pretty much am like down for whatever. Mm -hmm. But I used to think that was a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I never really felt like someone was crossing a boundary or that I was acquiescing because I thought I was, a, you know, I was good in anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. So I think that developing a practice of learning how to say no, but saying no to myself first and saying like, is this, there was a, a book that we read that was saying, um, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a hell no. Mm-hmm. So I have to listen to myself and say like, okay, is this where you want to be? If it's not a hell yes, then you have to muster up the courage to hurt someone's feelings. Because Mm -hmm. I think that as I'm talking to you, it's less of, you know, it's it's more about making people happy. Yeah. It's more about not saying no, especially if I don't have to say no. It's easy to say no if I have something else over here. Absolutely. It works out. Yeah. (laughs) But... There are times when I actually don't want to do that thing, and they ask me first, and I'm like, ooh, I actually want to do get it. me out of it. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but when there's not the, the two, and it's literally I don't want to do Just, either, yeah. um, I have to come to terms with making someone feel bad. And I don't know if I have that under, like all the way under control. I'm, I think because you're such an empathizer mm-hmm. that you empathize with the emotion that they may respond with yeah. or the fact that that's you since you can't tell somebody no it's like ooh, how do i tell them no? why should i tell them no? you know it's just that response of anybody who's empathetic towards people yeah it's just hard for because you feel emotions you're connected to people's emotions and not the actual thing or what's the actual situation that's going on mm-hmm. so i think because i'm the same exact way big empath i see somebody oh my god i feel so bad but i'm in this moment in this life now where i'm shifting and I think you got to get with the shift. Mm. Get, jump on board with the shift that's happening in your life to where you say, you know, I know I got to tell people no. Mm-hmm. I have to, and regardless of how it feels mm-hmm. to me, or no, 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 regardless of how it feels to them, mm-hmm. I make me feel good because yeah. it goes back to you putting you first. Yeah. And if putting you first means no to them and yes to you, you made the right choice. That's good. You said, get with the shift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. I That's my business mind. I can't help it. But get with the shift is really good. Mm-hmm. And then also getting with like the, just being comfortable with other people not feeling good about it. Yeah. I walk away from situations and what I realize is it's not a practice per se, mm-hmm. but when I coach myself to say no, then I feel terrible in the moment. Mm. And I really, I'm like, how do you feel? And then they're like, you know, like, well, it doesn't matter how I feel. You said what you got to say. Absolutely. And I'm like, I guess you're right. And I walk away feeling like, and then when I actually drive away from, it's funny that as I get further and further away from that person, Mm -hmm. I'm like, you did your thing, girl. (laughs) You did your thing. You said no and you held to Uh it. You might have been like super duper, like sincere and and, um, like you said, empathetic about how they were feeling. But I don't regret not a doggone thing. Mm-hmm. And I was respectful about it. Yeah. I was honest. One of the things that I like to I like to pride myself on, I do feel like that I stick to my word. Mm-hmm. I'm a very emotional person. I know that about myself. But I don't say anything I don't mean. Mm-hmm. And I don't say something that I'm going to do and I don't do it. I'm a very, like, you. if I said I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it type of person. But I think that so I so I think that that is what gives me confidence Mm -hmm. to just stick to your word, even if it doesn't feel good. Now that I'm aware of the me being Mm -hmm. an empath, I just have to be like what gives me sanity is that I am I'm a pretty sane and logical and rational person. Mm -hmm. If I say something, I might if I ever feel like I'm crazy again. Listen, this is how you feel. 
and I will express myself and the way that a person responds to me, because I've dealt with manipulation mm -hmm. too many times to understand like that a person is going to try to, you know, sidestep yep. the boundaries, yep. mm -hmm. right? Um, so I have to be very aware of how you respond sure. when I communicate my truth. Mm -hmm. If you communicate with something like, oh, well, why? Or you want to like push it back on me? Now I got to get out of this situation. And then it's like, dang, dog. Yep. I thought it was you. I thought we were. But you got some tendencies that I don't Just think is going to be. Yeah, yeah. Sure. so I, I feel confident in my nose now. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Ariel, thank you. Jovan, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. But I thank didn't you. cry. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, man, I, I appreciate you just going back to that moment. I know it's tough for people to kind of go back to that space where life was dark, you know, where you worked so hard to get away from a person that you once were, and you got to go relive that moment just for an hour. You know, that's, a, that's my biggest appreciation for anybody who comes to this podcast, that for that hour that you go back to that space, not for me, you know, it's cool to hear the story. It's cool for me to ask the questions. But for the person who's listening to this podcast who suffered from daddy issues, who's seen domestic violence happen in their home, you know, and just kind of just, just didn't know how to get out of it, how to pull themselves away from it and then reassess the whole situation and say, okay, this is how I step back into it. This is how I reestablish a relationship with my dad. This is how I reestablish trust with my dad. This is how I look at my mom in a new light, you know, because you said your mom was brave. That's it's a brave thing to one to just stick in something like that, but also to kind of just still raise up a daughter who's brave as well. So these episodes aren't for me. It's cool to just sit here and podcast all day, but these are for the people. Yeah. And I, I thank you for doing that, doing this for the people. I thank you for creating an authentic um, and a healing environment mm -hmm. because um, you're right. I was, ex I was excited, but I definitely was fearful. Mm -hmm. this, is a, this is a situation where I knew I was going to be uncomfortable because uh -huh. you're right. It's me, like you said, reliving something that was a dark day. But what I love about how you said it, because, you know, this honestly feels like therapy. You know what I mean? Like, I think that the way that you um, empower my words by reminding me that I had to intentionally develop a relationship with my dad. Mm -hmm. I had to understand my mother at a woman to woman level for me to actually still love the woman that she is for and sure. not feel guilty, not feel any type of resentment or harbor any negative emotions for either my mother or my father. And then given the experiences that I've been in, to know that I'm still whole, I, I carry my mother and my father with me proudly. Mm -hmm. I know exactly what's in me. And I love that self-awareness about for myself. Sure. That's, like the, that's the biggest and most key essential anybody can carry is self-awareness. Like when you just know yourself, yeah. you know your triggers, you know the boundaries you need to set. That's the biggest thing. And that's, I think, it's a big takeaway from today's episode. I think that you're a very self-aware person now. Mm. where you just know, okay, though me and my dad's relationship may not be the best of the best, where like we're like the best friends, we still have something, and I know where to keep it and I know where not to go with it. You know, same thing with your mom. It's just, I think anybody who's just self-aware, like, yo, this is not the day, this is not the time, this is not the moment, here's my no, here's my yes, I think those are just the most authentic people that you can find. Yeah. You're the man, Joe. I try to be. You, you're feeling us all out here, one conversation it's, at a time. Absolutely, it's a journey we all going through together. Like I said, I just I, I like the because I just didn't realize I didn't have a space like this where yeah. you can just freely talk about your stuff, let it go, let it air out, and just have these moments. Yeah, and it's dope. Like it's just dope. I think healing is dope. Like I said, vulnerability is like the new sexy to me. And when you can just be vulnerable and just like let it all out and like take all the knots out your stomach and all the hard, heavy breathing out your chest and just finally just like you just did, just breathe. Yeah. And just let that nice, fresh breath air just out and just inhale everything that's going on and then exhaling everything that you just pull back in. Yes. It's a beautiful thing. So I'm going to do a quick episode, a quick commercial real quick. And then I want you to close this out with something, encouragement, wisdom, let people know where they can find you, um, anything that you have going on, and uh, that's it. Sounds good. All right, so this episode is sponsored, <clears throat> excuse me, this episode is sponsored by the Emboldened Institute. It's the only place that I know that's sending out daily messages of hope, encouragement, and affirmation. I send out daily messages every day to you, seven days a week, 365, 365 days a year is what we're doing. We're sending out affirmations every day. So affirmation that's gonna hopefully talk to you, speak to you, or help you speak to yourself. There's also a, um, a portion of it called the Healers Club where we just pretty much send out messages of hope and healings. So where if you're going through something, you just need a word real quick to get your day started, they come out between hours of 9 and 10 a.m. with this whole time shift change. We got to 
got to fix some things in the back end system because <laughs> <laughs> America's retarded. Um, but listen, send me a message, send me a text, 404-476-6780. Text me the word heal or the word affirmation. If you got to add an S, I got you. I'm still going to get your um, text. So just send me a text, 404-476-6780, heal or affirmation, or you can send them back to back, get you added to both of those clubs. I'll be sending updates about the podcast, updates about what I have going on, updates about guests. We may have where a segment where we come back on and guests like, you know what, listen, I got there's something else I want to talk about. There may be something else that you may need to hear from somebody who's been on this podcast, and I want you to hear it first. So join the club and uh, hit me up. Ariel. First of all, I got to say, that's a really dope community that you have. Thank you. Yeah, I think that a lot of people are, who are experiencing it. And, and just so that I can be honest about like how honestly and truly I feel about how you make people feel comfortable. You make me feel comfortable, even off, off the podcast, not even, but off the podcast. We've never had a conversation like this before, but I've always felt like you can foster a, a, a community, a conversation where someone can be vulnerable. And so to have somebody be able to text you and it literally go to you. And mm -hmm. then if you feel like led to respond, I, I don't know if you respond. I, I respond. I've had full long, like week long conversation with people. Yeah. Like this one girl, she decided like she was like, I'm not feeling good about myself. I don't feel hopeful about myself. And we're, yeah. I'm coaching her through this thing the whole week. Yeah. It may not be a quick response because there's other people in the community, but it's just mm -hmm. I'm making sure that I'm helping you because you came to me for help. This I feel like it's my responsibility to give you that help that you need. So yeah. it's me. You are the real deal, Holyfield. And I love <laughs> that you're super duper like uh, vulnerable on your own page, which oh, is really sure. like dope like, to I'll see. I'll let it so. all out. Like, yeah. There's nothing. I, and it comes back to. And I read Charlemagne, the God's book. Mm. That was like my freeing point. There's a point in the book where I was like, why am I reading this book? There's nothing in here like that resonates with me. But it was just like one is a black man who wrote a book, support. But it was a part in the book where he was talking about when you share your truth, when you share it first, yeah. nobody can hold anything against you. Mm. And when he said that, I was like, oh, this is why I need to read this book. Just for that one line. And since that moment, I realized when I started doing that, it didn't just free me. It freed a boatload of people. Yeah. So I like to call myself the Harriet Tubman of the healing space. I love that. <laughs> yes, you first, Joe. Lead us to the promised land when it comes For to sure. this. I'll definitely, I might even come back on another episode. You mentioned it, so right. I'm just going to keep that in my mind. Keep but it back in mind. Yeah. Yeah. But go ahead and close us out. I'm closing us out. I'm speaking specifically to my old self. I was in corporate America. I was existing. Mm. When I say I was existing, I had not no clue of what impact really was, how to actually find it, but I started to do things. And as I, as I started to listen to myself and explore the things that brought me joy, literally like became um, impactful to other people, then I started to find what my purpose was. But the truth about it is I was living my purpose the entire time. Mm -hmm. Because if it weren't for me understanding how to do data analytics, if it weren't for me understanding how to, to be in a corporation and structure, then I wouldn't be able to do the same thing tactically for my clients who need to process and go from corporate to entrepreneur, but also so that I could have lived life so that I can actually help you understand how to find yourself as you lose one identity and go into a completely new identity that you haven't yet seen before. So if you're ready to make your transformation, all you need to look, do is look inside of yourself. Journaling is one of those things that I definitely helped that helped me just kind of get my thoughts out. But then also just seeking someone like Joe who's able to like talk through this stuff. You know how many therapists that I had to talk to to go through some of the things that I just shared? I mean, it's not easy to find therapists. Listen. I mean, finding therapists is like going on a job hunt. But you know what? I created a database for my clients who are able to like basically go through the database. It's not like black girls. Any any of the any of the, the databases that you know, mm -hmm. it's a, a specified list of people who are taking clients right now um, and they are familiar with like different specialties right um, but it, it allows my clients who are going through their career transformation to reach out to someone who, mm -hmm. who can help them mentally so I recognize there's a shortage of mental health professionals and therapists who can help um, but I have created a database that can actually you know uh, lessen the process of you actually having to go through that That's you know? yeah it's, it's it's what I needed and so this is definitely something that I think would make most corporate professionals Absolutely. like, can you just send me a little database? Yep. So that's all you need to do. Explore yourself, allow yourself to, to, you know, explore these dark sides of yourself, but know that you'll come on the other side, happy, whole and successful, which is what we all want to be. Right. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. Thank you for being here. Listen, y'all, it's another episode of the podcast. We are out. Peace. Peace.